everybody. Welcome back to Humans of Springport. This is our little side project that we're doing under the Discover Springport banner. For those of you that are joining for the very first time, this is an opportunity for me to highlight the people who are investing uh, in the Springport community by operating businesses uh, or raising families in this community, but they might not necessarily have their own brick and mortar establishment to highlight. So, my guest today is a longtime friend, uh, someone who actually was one of my first podcast guests on a former podcast that I did. Um, he is, as I call him, a Renaissance man, uh, Mr. George Bruno. So, George, thanks for coming on to Humans of Springford today. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. So, um, just to before I, I hand it over to you, just let people know I've I've known George probably for a decade or more at this point. Um, our paths yeah. have crossed a variety. We're not always in the same circles, but in terms of our, our relationship, it goes back quite a while. Um, and it's cool to kind of bring things full circle again uh, now that he's actually working out of the Springford community um, and that our paths cross in this way. So anyway, George, for those that may not know who you are, um, I'll hand it over to you. You can tell your origin story. Yeah. Well, the origin story is uh, I've been on this earth for about six decades now i can't believe it that's crazy and uh, what's interesting is the outside always ages faster than the inside and that's one thing that i've i've come to uh, realize recently <laughs> and what's fascinating it, it, it's helped me understand older people in retrospect mm-hmm. when i was 30 i thought 60 year olds were old <laughs> now that I'm 60, I get it. I understand. It's it's almost like I didn't understand my father until I became a parent. Right. And I'm like, ah, so that's what it's all about. <laughs> so that's what, that's what I, what's, what's the, uh, that universal parent uh, answer? Oh, because I said so. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Like, why can't I have that second piece of pie? Because I said so. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a reason, dad. Well, that's a good enough reason, you know, yeah, right. for me. <laughs> so I think, I think what happened is as I've gotten older, I've watched the outside turn gray, but the inside hasn't turned gray. Right. You know, yeah. and it's it's been it's been a fun trip. Uh, background story: I was a, a psychotherapist for over two decades. I taught in five colleges. Uh, I cut hair part time to work my way through school. Uh, I left the therapeutic world and went into cutting hair full time. I come from the family that says always have something you can do with your hands. Yeah, even if you are an academic, you can get your doctorate degree. But you better, you know, you better be a carpenter or a plumber or a, a barber. <laughs> Have some, my grandfather would say this. And he, and he, it was funny. He said it with his hands. Yeah. Always have something you can do with your hands. <laughs> you can't make a statement like that with your hands in your pockets. That's exactly right. So he said that. And I'll tell you what, uh, through all of the economies that I've lived through, my trade, because I have a trade and a profession, my yeah. trade has served me extremely well. And I will never starve. My family will never be hungry. I will always have a roof over my head. And I know that's, you know, that's setting the bar pretty low. But <laughs> as, far, <laughs> as far as, as far as being able to provide, trades are wonderful. Yeah. They do wear you out. 
If you can't think of a way to make a living with your brain and only with your hands, your body will out. I can't stand for 12 hours a day and cut hair nonstop the way that I used to. So you have to use your head and not your hands or your body as much. Right. And um, that's been an interesting transition. So you go from practitioner to teacher as you get older. That's kind of like the natural progression. And if you play your cards right, you become the Gandalf of your industry, someone who is sought out, (laughs) someone who is kind of like wizardly, someone who has wisdom, someone who who just doesn't – like young teachers just tell you what to do. Older teachers say, I have a story for you. Yeah. And they tell you a story of why X is the way to do it and Y is not the way to do it. And Z, completely avoid. Yeah. Whereas the young teachers will just say, do this, don't do that. There's something about the wisdom of an older person. And now that I'm older, honestly, I do a double take in the mirror because there was a time when I had black hair and a black beard. And I honestly, I do a double take in the mirror and I say, who's that old man? And I'm like, wow, that's me. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I have uh, dabbled in a lot of areas, doing voiceover work, doing acting work, commercial work, hosting work. I did all that part-time while I was in my therapeutic career because that was something uh, the whole dramatic and stage and theater and plays and all that stuff, which you know yeah. quite a bit about, that was in my background. And what happens is when you realize that you're not going to be found, you just <laughs> start really enjoying it more. Yeah. And it's a hobby that you enjoy. And a hobby, when I stopped thinking that I was going to be found, I actually started enjoying voiceover and acting. And then it actually started at least paying for itself. Rather right. than being a liability, it became an asset or at least a break-even point. And I had more joy, and my smile was more genuine when I, when I would go on set. I just did a commercial for uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield about six weeks ago. Okay. And first commercial I've done in seven or eight years. Wow. Spent all day on set in a studio in uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I was just joyful the whole time. Yeah. It was just, and I could still tell the people who were just hoping to be found. They're just, they think this is going to be their big break. And uh, I was just here to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I had fun. And when I look at the proofs and some of the, the video clips, I can see me just going on set and having fun. And I was genuine. I mean, there were people who were serious. And yeah. then the director would say, three, two, one, action. And then their face would go, you know, <laughs> they, they became Bob from the Cialis commercial. Yeah. You know, Bob. <laughs> like that guy. And, uh, like, I showed up on set already looking like Bob. Yeah. <laughs> there, there wasn't a difference between standby George and three, two, one action George. There was a congruence. Right. I brought, I came from a place of joy to begin with, not a place of anxiety. 
Yeah. When you're hoping to be found, you live and you come from a place of anxiety. Yeah. Hoping, hoping, hoping. You get your fingers crossed behind your back and in your pocket and you're hoping and, and you're praying. But when you come from a place of joy where you love your life, love what you do, there's no acting. Mm-hmm. No one has to say, okay, portray a happy man. <laughs> I don't have to portray a happy man because I am a happy man. Right. So, and then they pick out a wife for you. <laughs> and I had to walk down a path holding a balloon with my wife and dancing with her and dipping her and spinning her around and all that. <laughs> and she said, you're so good at this. I said, because I, I'm no longer married, but yeah. But I said, because I, I enjoyed being married. Yeah. That was real. I enjoyed yeah. it. And you're not bad to look at either. So <laughs> that helps. So, too, right? <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Yeah. But, um, so that's what I do. That's what I've done. And um, I just tweeted the other day that the best sex of my life is going to be from 61 to 105. And <laughs> some people laughed at that. My response was, I'm not ready to bury anything that's not dead yet. So, <laughs> so that's kind of like my attitude. That's awesome. You know, I I, I just have this fantasy of laying in a casket and people coming up and talking about me while they're looking over me and then just being like, gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. I I think that the way you describe that is very similar to the, those that work only to get to the weekend. You know, there's a lot of people that are going through life and they're just banking on retirement yeah. as though that's going to be when they feel peace and contentment and all that. It's right. Kind of realizing right. that like we have to rethink that whole thing of retirement and getting to the leisure part of our life and find a way to make what we're doing on a daily basis come from what you said, a place of joy. Um, you know, I, for me, it, it started on the journey of, you know, getting out of the corporate world myself, um, becoming self-employed with real estate so I could pursue the thing that ultimately made me happy, which was performing. And uh, it went went from waking up on Monday morning, staring at the ceiling almost in tears because I had anxiety and depression about the fact that I was, you know, wasting my life uh, to not wait, not being able to wait until Monday morning to get back to doing the thing that I was really enjoying. So yeah, I definitely... I, I echo the sentiments that you just shared because I'm a personal testament of, of what you just described as well, which is why I felt like we always kind yeah. of had a kinship because I felt like we saw the world through a uh, similar lens, uh, obviously a different decades, but um, I always felt that uh, connection with you because I was like, yeah, this guy gets it. And I kind of want to, <laughs> I want to follow yeah. in, that, in that frame of mind. Um, so I value that. So I appreciate you sharing those things. So um Tell me a little bit about the things that you're doing currently. Obviously, not you know outside of what's going on right now. Um, yeah. Before all that happened, um, some of the things that you started to pursue outside of just uh, you know the, the cutting of hair, which has always been a part of your life. Um, I know you're you're very involved, and in, and your messages started to spread through your YouTube channel and things like that. And you can tell people a little bit about that. Um, the Sultan of Silver and those types of things <laughs> as they've con- yeah. as they've started to grow. Yeah. Currently, I have three areas uh, that are my main areas of revenue. One is working at a salon, which is in the Springford area, Allura Salon. It's on Egypt Road. Work with a a magnificent 
team of people. I work as a master barber there. I work with a team of ladies who work in the salon portion. I have my own little private men's grooming studio that's down a hallway and in the back, but I'm part of the team of people that make that salon move. It's a high-end kind of place. Um, I would, it's boutique-ish in the sense that it's very specialized, very one-to-one. No one is just a number. It's not like there's a big waiting room and, you know, and you get rushed through and the person says, okay, next. Yeah. Like your appointment time, we build a wall around your appointment. And that's your time. It's very valuable. That's one thing I do. The other thing I do is I work at a forensic psychiatric facility, prison for mentally ill people. And I work with murderers, rapists, pedophiles, and some of the darkest souls you've ever seen. Wow. And I do that three days a week. And that's interesting to say the least. And then the right. third thing I do is my social media work, which is my YouTube channel, which I have a, a massive, well, not compared to some people. Right. I mean, <laughs> I would say it's a respectable following, about 142,000, which is, which is respectable. Yeah. I mean, I, I have friends that have the million subscriber channels. Right. Uh, so that's why I say mine's respectable, but not massive. So I have that, and it leads to uh, speaking engagements all over the world, including Europe, Canada, South America, everywhere else. Um, and a following, an international following, that includes uh, almost every country in the world. And uh, now the gentleman, I'm outside right now, so the gentleman oh, okay. decided to start. <laughs> mowing his lawn. So hold on one second. Let me no close problem. the door here. Okay, no problem. All right, now that's better. <laughs> anyway, my, my following is uh, international in scope, and I have about uh, 10% females who are very active and vocal in my follower community. And I, uh, my podcasts are seen and heard all over the world. And I cover such a wide range of topics from masculinity to femininity to divorce, starting over, cutting hair, owning a business, operating a business during this crazy time, uh, that kind of thing. So, and that, and I would say that each of those three things is about equal as far as revenue and time. The social media is starting to, to bypass the others as far as revenue and actually my interest. So I find myself wanting to cut hair less. I'll never stop it, though, because my dad is 85. Yeah. He cuts hair every day. Oh, I get uh, Yeah. Uh, I'll probably just reduce my time doing that as far as working at the forensic facility. Um, it's a weird a weird job because I'm working with the work. Like if I just took a random poll and said, who are the worst people on earth? Right. Like everyone I work with would, would be on that list. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is strange. And 
Yeah, and no one ever seeks to uh, to work with them because they really they don't deserve it. And I'm not tooting my horn in any way because it's transforming me while right. I'm there. But for me to treat someone with compassion who killed five people, and for me to treat them with compassion and to shake their hand is so against my nature because I want to cut their throat right. <laughs> for what they did. I want to kill them. I really, yeah. I mean, really, it brings the murderer out of me. Right. And I've gotten to the point where I don't want to know what someone did to get themselves incarcerated. I don't want to know it because it affects my attitude right. towards them. And you find that if you're working with somebody who's at it, they're just grumbly and angry and volatile, and they look like anything can set them off one week. And then the next week, let's just say on the anger and volatility scale, they're at a 10. But the next week, they're at a 9. <laughs> what I've noticed is I've said to them, you're, you're doing better this week, aren't you? And all of a sudden, a smile comes to us. This is a killer. I'm talking yeah. so, someone who killed five people. Suddenly he smiles and says, yeah, I'm doing better. Wow. I said, all right, keep up the good work, man. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I am that person's best friend because the guards, they're not there to give compassion. They're there just to herd the cattle, yeah. lock them, unlock them, herd them, take them out, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. My job is different than the guards. So for me, it's so antithetical for me to want to even give a little bit of compassion to people like that, which I think is Christ-like. Mm. And I've never done anything so Christ-like in my life. Yeah. And I'm 60 years old. I've done a lot of ministries. I've worked in soup kitchens, food pantries. I've done so much ministry. But to work with people who truly do not deserve it, is transformative because it's a mirror that I'm looking at because I don't deserve it. Yeah. And God's grace has allowed me to exist, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I deserve to get backhanded out of the universe <laughs> at any given moment, but you know, because God is forgiving and graceful. So it's helped me become more Christ-like whether I like it or not. <laughs> and I think I've been appointed. Someone said, uh, you know, I was telling someone the other day, because there are some job openings and the benefits are, the, the benefits are state, Pennsylvania state benefits, which are the best of the best. Right. And it's interesting. They said to me, how did you get hired there? Because they, they think they want to uh, work there. Yeah. And I said, I didn't get hired. I got appointed. Oh, that's cool. And I honestly believe it's divine appointment that I'm there. Yeah. I can't explain why, but I've never, there's nothing great about the job. There's nothing admirable about who I'm working with. Um, I got to wash myself before I leave the facility. I wash myself as soon as I walk in the door at home. And it's, strangely transformative. I've actually had the guards say to me, why would you ever shake their hand? Hmm. 
you know, and, you know, and I'm like, you know, you're right. Why, yeah. why would I? Uh, but I've never worked. I've worked with people that are down and out, but I, but they're, the down and out are not what I would call undeserving. I'm working with undeserving. Right. And I just encourage everyone, even to volunteer at a prison, just to expose yourself to truly undeserving people. And if you come away from, if you're like, I'm a Christian person. If you're a Christian person and you work with undeserving people and you come away with anything except that I am also undeserving, then, then you completely missed the boat. That's right. On, um, you know, yeah. it's like I I can't explain it, but the undeservingness <laughs> in my own life is amplified when I work with those who are socially undeserving. Yeah, like weird. You said, it's, it's weird. It's a, it's a mirror because you see. I mean, we are all struggling of the disease of humanity in a way you know what i mean like we all have that um whether we want to admit it or not there is something in us that if fed and if enticed will lead down a path that we would in our right minds say we would never do something like that you know there's there's obviously there are um psychoses and all that kind of stuff and you're you know more about that than me but but Ultimately, there's something in each of us that if entertained and if um, that makes us not very much different than those who are acting on those urges or acting on those yeah. um, those compulsions. So I feel like that yeah. is highlighted when you see it as much as I and I'm very much the same way. I have that like my wife always says, like, I have that righteous indignation and it's always like right at the surface. Like give me a reason to, to, to stand up for those that are being abused and I will, I will do it. Like I, I often joke that um, the rage is there below the surface, just waiting for someone to justify its use, <laughs> um, which is not always yeah. a healthy place to be, you know, but it's, it's almost like that weird thing where you're like, I hope someone crosses me so I have an excuse to get out this, you know, yeah. this rage. Um, yeah. In a healthy way. Yeah. Like I've always kind of, you know, struggled with that because I'm like, you know, I will never be the instigator, but I will be the defender, you know, like, um, and it will be well, I, you know, re- I, retribution. I can't forget there, there was a young boy. Was it Trevor that started something for the homeless? It's like maybe 15, 20 years. It was like, Trevor's place or something. Remember yeah. that there was like some kind of, and oh, he was yeah, like eight so. years old. Yeah. And he was walking down the streets of Philadelphia and his, he got angry that there were people that were homeless and didn't have food. Yeah. So he says, dad, can we do something about this as a boy? Right. It, and it just kind of flowed out of him. So he and his father would make sandwiches and bring, bring food to, you know, people give him like a bag lunch or something like that. And it just, you know, out of the purity of his heart, it's like, you know, you make me angry enough and I'll feed the hungry. Right. I promise. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I, I think, I think that righteous anger is a good thing. It's God given because without righteous anger, a lot of uh, people wouldn't be fed and clothed. Right. 
Yeah, it's true. And a lot of people would not be protected or um, they, there wouldn't be a voice for the voiceless in a lot of things. A lot of a lot of the best work has come out of that, the anger of of abuse um, or toward, you know, towards yeah. abuse and things like that. Um, whether yes. it's providing shelters for people, uh, safe houses for people. Um, yeah counseling for people who have made terrible decisions like you were describing you know that a lot it comes yeah. from a healthy anger towards what's not right um yeah and, and and a desire to make things right so yeah definitely uh this is a great uh a great reminder for me especially because i can sometimes i i feel like i'm like i need a productive outlet for this anger like what can i do so my answer is all right i'm just gonna i'm gonna whether it's a specific issue or something like that, I'm going to find everything I can out about that thing and find ways to yeah. educate or whatever. I kind of defer to that. Like I'm going to like get as much information out for people um, as I can. And and maybe it's productive, maybe it's not. But for me, at least mentally speaking, it's like, oh, okay, I feel like I, I scratched that itch. You know, like this bothered me. So I need to now find out everything about it so that I can sleep at night and figure out what, what is being done, what can be done and how I can be a part of it. So yeah, that's an interesting. Yes. It's an interesting point of the conversation that we found ourselves in, I think, especially considering our current yeah, yeah. And stuff. Um, I think a lot of people use their anger towards certain things unproductively, uh, whether it's through social media or um, or otherwise. Uh, yeah. When if they just kind of rerouted that anger in a productive way and be a part of the solution rather than just pointing out the problem, um, I think we'd be in a lot better place uh, in a lot of ways in our society. Sorry, I hijacked the conversation there, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, an anger problem is nothing but an energy problem. That's right. That's all it is. Right. <laughs> so, um, no one you... ever said, no one ever says I, I have so much energy. They <laughs> say things like I am so angry and I'm like, good, hold on to that for a second. Right. Come on, yeah. follow me. Let's, let's let's go build a cabin let's go <laughs> let's go do something while you have that energy you know it's right. uh, when someone shares when someone reveals that they have anger they're revealing that they have energy for what a great opportunity to help reroute that river and create something with it yeah, totally. so um switching gears a little bit if you don't mind um how are things going obviously with this current shutdown of people in your industry especially i know i've done on the regular discover springford program i've highlighted a number of salons and barbers over the last three seasons of the show and i know that uh yeah. you know, watching those frontline businesses that are are being essentially ignored um i've tried not to get too political on this show because uh it, it draws a fine line of <laughs> it draws yeah. that line in the sand and, and cuts off half of my audience essentially. Uh, but um, yeah. how are you handling it uh, just mentally? And, and obviously you do have this other means of income, which is helpful. Um, yeah. Are you still working um, in this, in the, the psychotherapy because is that considered an essential thing or it's not? That's yeah. I am uh, considered essential staff at okay. the forensic facility where I work. I, uh, my internet income, my social media stuff is still cranking. I'm not cutting hair. Yeah. The salon is closed. We don't know when we're going to reopen. We started having zoom staff meetings, which actually last longer 
than the real staff meetings that we had. So <laughs> which is kind of like indicative of our hunger to kind of right. communicate. Sure. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, it's changing the beauty industry and the handsome industry yeah. to the point where people are going to drive up. They're going to text the receptionist. There's no longer going to be waiting rooms. People are going to come in. There's going to be no more coffee bars. You're not going to be able to bring, you know, your coffee, Starbucks coffee in anywhere. You can't do that. Uh, you will be given a mask. If you're not wearing a mask, you will wash your hands before sitting in a chair. In between clients, the stylist or barber who is wearing a mask, a face shield, wow. and gloves will completely sanitize Everything that you could possibly touch, there will be no blow drying, which could possibly spread pathogens. Um, everyone will have uh, two or three complete sets of equipment. I can't use a pair of scissors or comb on you. And then 30 minutes later, use it on someone else. I will always have a set of my hand tools in barbicide. That are, that's being sterilized and disinfected. I will have disposable capes that I will put on people. Uh, there will be no shampooing. Everyone has to have their hair shampooed within three hours of coming to the salon. Uh, there will be no cash exchanged. Everything will be done through Venmo and PayPal. Wow. Tipping can be in cash, but the, the I believe the state, which is watching us very closely, is telling everyone uh, to work in a cashless manner, which <laughs> as soon as I hear cashless society, yeah. that just rings a little bell for me, yes. and I know it rings a bell for you. So, yeah. uh, but, uh, and of course, that just leads me to, you know, I could see the receptionist saying, well, just scan your right hand underneath, underneath the scanner and you can pay for your haircut. <laughs> and you know, we're going we to have a, a that small right community now, of people that have never, that have not had their haircut or died in a long time. And we'll be like, ab absolutely. <laughs> we'll be like it's, brothers, you know, <laughs> brothers and sisters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. I can't get my haircut. Or they're just going to have really bad home haircuts, one or the other. That'll be yeah, our, that'll exactly. be our, our social signal to each other of, of solidarity. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just like the mass have become, I guess, right? <laughs> so, I th I think it's going to uh it's it's going to be good for the industry in that it, it's going to purify the industry in the sense of cleanliness. No one is going to like for instance um I like the idea of like for instance if i if i give somebody a shave because we can no longer shave people i can't put the same blade from face to face to face yeah i have to take the blade out dispose of it clean the blade holder put a new blade on dip it in the barbicide a second time and then i can give someone a shave if i'm doing shaves i've always done that in front of people because it gives just an added sense of security. Like, wow, he really cares. Right. So I think the salons and barbershops that allow people to see some of the disinfecting and sterilizing, sanitizing stuff. Uh, I think when they see that in action, it'll give people peace of mind. Right. 
I think yeah, especially the transparency. Yeah, it, it's actions, visible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you feel that those types of measures will ultimately? I mean, obviously, you are doing a lot of that stuff to begin with, not the face shields and stuff. But are is there a fear in the industry that many of these things will be cost prohibitive, or it will cause to an exponential raising in the cost it's, of the service? All haircuts are going to have all services will have a three to five dollar surcharge built in to cover disposable capes, right. masks if people don't have them, all of the things. Because I have to change my gloves with every new client. I have to change anything that I touch has to be thrown away. So we are now amplifying the disposable culture. And salons and barbershops are not going to absorb that cost. That cost needs to be passed on. Yep, that makes sense. And it's funny that we, uh, how quickly something can cause the the blaming of the plastics and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, everybody, I see, I've seen a lot of things, all the things they're, they're now going to be the rescuer again, which is kind of interesting. Yes. That, um, you know, yeah. everybody complaining about disposable plastic, this, and now it's like, everybody's like, no, we can't do anything without it. You know? So it's, it's just interesting yeah. because when things are removed and this will just be a little editorial comment for me, um, the further removed we get from something, we forget why that thing was in place to begin with. Um, because there aren't many people left to articulate why it was done that way. Um, but then usually something comes around the corner. And it's like, oh, that's why it was done that way. And I feel that way with, with plastic and a lot of those things. Originally, plastic was, you know, it was seen to be more affordable. And also, you know, there was probably some, you know, the, the fear of reusing things over and over again and all that kind of stuff. Just having disposable plastic was probably seen as a good thing. And then over time, we saw the buildup of those things and we're like, oh, this is bad. But now we're starting to see a reason why there is a benefit to those things. So it's just interesting how things come around cyclically um, in, in, in a lot of industries, you know. Um, and I'm, a, I'm definitely a disruptor. I'm definitely someone who likes to innovate. And every time I've had a job, I've, I've tried to find the inefficiencies and expose them. And, and my, my motto has always been, if there's no one left who can articulate the reason why something is done a certain way, then maybe it's time to revisit that thing and find a better way to do it. Because usually people just say, well, we've always done it that way. And that's not a great reason for things. So the fact that a lot of these businesses are being proactive in finding new ways so that they can reopen, reopen safely. Uh, and, you know, people pay more for convenience. And now they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to be willing to pay a little bit more of a premium for the, uh, the peace of mind as well. Um, or at least I think they, would, they should be. Um, so that yeah. we can start to resume activity in some sense of normalcy you know um my my mode has always been get a haircut and then don't get a haircut for months and just say you're growing your hair out it's just a kind of <laughs> it's yeah. a, that's how i've always operated yeah. um but i know a lot of people they do that three week every three weeks man they're in the chair and um but in order for us to do that then you know there's going to be we're going to have to share the the load and 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 mutually um come together to do that which may include paying a little bit more for those services unfortunately but that's just right. the way of the world you know it's it's um w- we need to be willing to to pass those costs appropriately among everybody um if we want to get back to some sense of normalcy even though I, I have my own personal views on all of this stuff that's going on um i do understand and 
respect the amount of work and labor that's going to take to get us to where we need to be again. Um, and my personal views aren't going to change that. So <laughs> it's one thing to have my views about the issue. And it's another to how I'm going to operate in society for those that I love and respect around me. Um, so anyway, that was my little, <laughs> my little. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. I am a, I'm a conspiracy theorist right yep. from the get. And yep. I've had to come to grips with does communicating my conspiracy bent bring calm and sanity to people or does it bring anxiety to them? Right. And sometimes I think it's a more compassionate move to just not talk about those things, even though I do believe I do have some pretty far out beliefs about certain things that are going on. It doesn't always make for a peaceful home. It doesn't make yeah. for peaceful friendships. So I reserve a lot of my theories for fellow conspiracy yeah. theorists and not for the common person. Sure. Uh, I don't, I don't have like my, my dad has always been like, I just tell it like it is. I'm like, yeah, dad, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't want to be that guy. And it's no disrespect to my father. And there are kind of people who, you know, say, you know, I just tell it like it is, or I, I only speak the cold, hard truth. And, yeah. <laughs> and I get that. I under, I hundred percent get that. But I also don't want to have a reputation for, for being, uh, a troublemaker yeah. or someone who brings anxiety to others. That's, right. that's not my mission in life is to create anxiety. People. Sure. Yeah. I know. I'm for me personally, I'm, uh, I think I've probably, I took the red pill fairly recently, I guess, <laughs> as they say, yeah. like I, I, yeah. I'm kind of on an, I'm new on this journey of, um, I mean, I've always been someone who's questioned things, but in terms of being a little bit more forceful in my um, my search for truth and those types of things, um, so it's yeah, it's I'm kind of in the middle of that right now of like finding the balance yeah. between sharing yeah. things that are counter to the narrative that are positive. Um, yes, that will maybe make people think, oh wait, things aren't as scary as I've been led to believe, or you know, you know, for whatever the situation may be, and then finding the you know, everyone's out to get you, you know, like <laughs> sorting out that everyone's out to get you to side of it. You know what I mean? Um, so it's well, you, you don't want your, you don't want your kids like going to school and, and the teacher says, you know, Johnny, um, why aren't you wearing a mask? And little Johnny says, I'm not taking part in the new world order. Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> and you know, that's the le like. I don't want to do that with my family. That's right. My family knows that I'm naturally theory oriented right and i talk openly about you know various conspiracy theories yeah. which i don't believe are conspiracy theories right <laughs> but like i said i don't want to bring anxiety to people that's right <laughs> i don't you know what i mean like for if some like right now people are they love calling me tinfoil hat <laughs> and to me what you do is man i just do a little jujitsu on that i'm like thank you like yeah. <laughs> thank you to me it's it's a it's a compliment it's not an insult you think you're insulting me come on bring it on right yeah i'm very much uh 
in the same bent uh, as I'm coming through all of this. And I said, you know, people don't realize that they're actually, you know, oftentimes the way people approach things, especially on social media, uh, is they they use the same tactic that they accuse others of using in the way that they shout down or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. And it's, it's counterproductive. So it, I feel like as long as I can come with respect and a productive side or a pr- productive pu- viewpoint, then I can walk away with my head held high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, as long as I don't get down to the level of when people are starting to, it's amazing how quickly people, I, I actually shared a post this morning I said, sadly, the people who are the most open-minded, in quotes, are the ones who form a negative opinion of you as soon as they find out that your beliefs do not align with theirs. Um, right. <laughs> it's really interesting because they'll, they'll, you know, you go through their, their news feed and everything is about how open-minded they are and how everyone else should be as open-minded right. as they are. And then when you say, well, yeah. I disagree, <laughs> the open-mindedness yeah. goes right out the window. It's kind of funny. Um, Die heretic. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh man! But anyway, this is uh, this has been really fun. Um, if uh, if there's anything else you wanted to uh, delve into, I'm more than game. Uh, otherwise, you can uh, let people know how they can find more information about uh, the various things that you're involved in. I'm definitely going to encourage people to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, you could be one of the many hundreds of thousands that have also joined uh, George on this journey. Um, you find a lot of great information. So. Uh, I'll t- turn it over to you to let people know what they can do to, to find out more. Yeah. The best thing is my YouTube channel. Probably that's where that's kind of like the clearing house of information. Uh, many times the statement of facts and some of my interviews doesn't, uh, necessarily endorse, uh, doesn't imply endorsement. And I like to consider myself a provocateur Mm -hmm. and not the answer man. And if I can make you think about something, then I succeeded. Yeah. So YouTube channel is just my name, George Bruno. Okay. And um, in terms of the, uh, I, I was, I've been wanting you to start a podcast, like an actual podcast where you, you know, you can subscribe to it on podcast apps and stuff like that. Is there any plans like that in the works? Cause I think it'll be. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Successful. There has to be, <laughs> I, there, there has to be because there's way too many. Uh, I mean, I do this so regularly. I do, I do my show called the daybreak show Yeah. every day. I press record at 5.00 AM. I'm up at four. I press record at five and I do a tiny bit of editing. I upload and then I start working on the next day's content and then also start doing uh, contacting people. I do my coaching, which is a result of the social media work, people who contact me who want coaching. I don't do therapy anymore in that way. I do more coaching. Um, and then, uh, like, for instance, I have two interviews today, kind of like what you're doing with me. Yeah. I have... One interview with a guy who owns five barber shops and a uh, barber academy, and I'm going to talk to him like you're talking to me about how is he doing? He's got six rents due every month. He's got 30 employees, but no revenue, but rent is due. Like, how are you doing this? 
That's one guy that I'm interviewing today, and that'll be on the channel. Uh, that interview will be on the channel on uh, Saturday. And then the second guy, I made a comment uh, the other day uh, on my show about when two people get married, the two become one. But when someone get when when a couple gets divorced, the one become two. And he wants to talk to me about what he feels. God means when he says the two shall become one flesh. Mm. And I think that's going to be fascinating. Wow. The whole yeah. concept of one flesh and then after divorce, the tearing, what happens right. when one flesh becomes two flesh? And he has a theory of what he, and, and I, I want to explore that with him. It yeah. just sounded so fascinating. And why does divorce hurt so much? Why does why does separation hurt so much? It's just, I mean, you can go out and find another spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend just like that. I mean, it's, why does it hurt when, when that one becomes two? Yeah. And I'm going to explore that with him. So that's going to be kind of a cool topic. Wow, it's crazy. I mean, just in those two interviews at the, the polar opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of content, and that is the stuff yeah. that you can find over at George Bruno's YouTube channel. And I will encourage, I'm going to keep hounding George to rip that audio and get it out in, uh, in podcast form as well. So you can subscribe to the podcast and he'll be the next Joe Rogan. Uh, actually, he probably already is, but <laughs> we'll just, uh, we'll hope that he gets to get you listening in that way as well. So George, thank you so much for your time. It's great to see your face. It's great to talk to you again. It's been so long. And uh, I'm wishing you nothing but the best as you guys take undertake this new new normal, that phrase that I'm ready to spit out <laughs> already. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I hope you uh, stay safe in the, uh, in the, the forensic unit. Um, I hope that you continue to see growth in, in the, the social media channels. And uh, specifically, I can't wait till you can get people in the chair again. Uh, the chill chair and just shoot the breeze. It, it's an, it's a one of a kind experience to have your haircut and a shave from George Bruno. I am personal. Uh, I can personally attest to that. And uh, I have a colleague of mine who became a fan of George's. I probably should have mentioned this. Uh, a colleague of mine at sight and sound was a fan of George's before he even lived in the area. He was like in Oklahoma or Nebraska. And then he, yeah. went, he got a job at sight and sound found out that George yeah. was less than an hour Joe. away from him. Yeah. yeah. Joe Dignati. Shout out to Joe Dignati. Um, yeah. He's uh he's actually the male lead in Queen Esther, which is on hiatus right now at Sight and Sound. Um but uh he can't come to find out and I met Joe at an audition one time. And uh what's funny is that when I was when I got to know him and met him, I was like, Man, he kinda reminds me of George Bruno. Like there was something about his his demeanor <laughs> and his his soft spoken manner and his beard and everything. I was like, Oh, this is you know, we're having deep conversations. I just met this guy, you know, like that's not common yeah. that you have a deep connection with somebody when you just meet them. And then now lo and behold, I work with him. Uh, I've worked with him now for almost two years and he is a, a client of George's. So it's crazy how all worlds collide, especially in the arts and, it's and funny, beard cultures, <laughs> beard and mustache culture yeah. as well. So uh, you're right. But uh, anyway, thank you so much. I, I wish you, uh, I wish you luck for the rest of this journey. And, um, have fun with those two interviews because they're definitely going to be uh, branching out into some interesting territory. And I can't wait to, to see the outcome of those conversations. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you all, all right. for listening and watching this episode of humans of Springford. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe to our Facebook watch channel and our YouTube channel as well. 
by visiting tv.discoverspringford.com. That's where you can find our YouTube channel. And until next time, and until we can get out there in person, I encourage you to get online and discover what makes the Springford area a great place to live, work, eat, and explore. 